Hey everyone, welcome to B2B Made Simple. I'm Sam Moss, the CEO and co-founder of OneClick Agency. On this show, I interview marketing experts from fast-growing B2B SaaS companies. We feature podcast episodes I'm a guest on, and sometimes we throw in a consulting call I've done with another company. Our goal with this show is to equip you and give you the tools you need to be the best marketer you can be. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to B2B Made Simple. Joining me on the show today, I have Nicole Gates. She's the Director of Marketing at Mongoose. And it's not very often that I get to talk to someone in uh, not necessarily my region of the country, but my section of the state, uh, upstate New York. She's from Buffalo. So, Nicole, welcome to the show. This is really cool. Yeah, thanks for having me. I know we're kind of neighbors a little bit. <laughs> Compared to some people that I've yeah. talked to, I would I would definitely consider us neighbors because this is the, probably the closest. I mean, I'm in the boondocks compared to what people think of the state in New York. Um, but Buffalo, I think people understand where that is. So it's, it's cool to have someone within a couple hours talking on the show. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> been, it's been a long time coming. You've been commenting on stuff on LinkedIn for a while. And I've been wanting to have you on the show just to, to talk about marketing. Um, but before we get into that, I, I have an opening question for you. Um, okay. Are you a, a, an Android or an Apple person? Oh, I'm an Apple person. Hey, there we go. I'll take it. Me too. <laughs> you never know how the reaction is going to be back, but yeah, I'm an Apple person. <laughs> <laughs> well, there we go. Apple or Android. Um, well, cool. So today's topic, I'm pretty, I think this will be a fun one. Um, it's basically the notion that B2B companies are approaching events all wrong. Um, and you're going to basically explain why. So my question to you would be, why do you think they are approaching them so wrong? Yeah, I mean, I have a little bit of a love-hate relationship with events, and I always have. Um, I'd be working for, you know, B2B companies, and I'd see them, you know, just drop a bunch of money and a bunch of resources on this booth. And then when I'd look back and see, like, what kind of leads did it generate? What action did we get from, like, what's the return of investments on these, on these booths? And I would see, like, four, five leads maybe coming in. Um, you know, even putting together the booth, I, people would say, oh, you have to attend this because if we don't attend this event, which we've always attended, our competitors are going to say like, oh, X, Y company must be doing bad because they're not at this, this event anymore. And it was a little crazy to me that their event strategy is based on like what their competitors think rather mm -hmm. than like what's best to talk to and reach our customers and build relationships with our customers. So I've always just thought the way that a lot of B2B companies approach event strategy has just been kind of off-putting and a little bit, I, I think the resources could be better allocated in another way that's going to mm -hmm. see better results. So I've always been a little bit of a, even pre-COVID, I was always kind of pushing us to think outside the box of like how we approach our events. Um, if we did go to conferences, you know, not spending $50,000 on a big booth that like no one ends up wanting to man because all the sales people want to be out, you know, like networking and it ends up being some like intern who doesn't really know the product very well. Um, so I think actually probably one of the best things that came out of COVID was that it did force uh, B2B companies to rethink how they approach events, how they like, what, how else are they going to generate, you know, traction leads without going to conferences? Cause I think they did rely mm -hmm. on them very heavily. Um, and so now I'm seeing a lot of interesting um, conversations around events and how to change up what's always been done. 
You know, it's interesting that one of the reasons that you bring up is this, that companies continue to do the booth, for example, is the peer pressure. And it makes so much sense because I've had things run through my head before where I'm like, man, I wonder if I stop this, like what X company is going to think. And of course, X company would be a competitor. Right. And I think that that is something that's really prevalent in the minds of marketers, the C-suite, whatever. Um, What would you say to them if that is really their thought process? Um, You know, we think with marketing in general, like mm-hmm. you should be looking at your competitors, but you shouldn't be doing what your competitors exactly are doing. You want to be ahead of them. And I think if we kind of get in this little bit of a hamster wheel of like, all of us are going to these events just to, you know, like showcase to one another how great we are. That's probably not the best way. And so if you want to be successful, you should be thinking a little differently than your competitors and be thinking, you know, two, three years ahead of Mm -hmm. what they're going to be doing. So, you know, take the risk to not have a booth. Um, And look, if you want to do it like a baby step, look for different ways to, um, you know, be present at the event without having a booth. Like I've seen success with, you know, um, currently at my company, we're a texting platform for higher education and we're going to sponsor the texting um, within the event. So like every time someone goes to event to text or the event text them to like give them an update on an event or something changing, it's going to be sponsored by us. So we're still in front of everybody without having to have like a massive booth. Um, Mm -hmm. And there's other ways that events tend to allow sponsorship. That's not a booth, like a coffee hour or, you know, like a cocktail night. I think there's a way of like being memorable without having a booth. Cause I always mm-hmm. try to think of like, when I attend a conference as an attendee, like how often do you really like care too much about walking around those booths? Like you do it in between sessions, um, probably looking for some free cool swag that you'll probably end up throwing out before you get on the plane. Cause you realize it doesn't fit in your carry on. Um, or you go to someone who you're already been kind of aware of in some Mm -hmm. shape or form. And you kind of want to go see someone in person and talk to them in person. Um, So I think always think about like how you act when you're in your customer's shoes um, and then think like, are the things that I'm doing going to, would that attract me to the booth? Would that be something that I would do? I, I, what you were saying sparked something. I don't remember where I heard it. It was probably booty. I forget his last name from Gong. Uh, I know it was him that said it, but he said they didn't have the budget or they didn't want to spend the budget on this massive conference at like Madison Square Garden or somewhere in New York City. And instead of building a booth, they wrapped, they, they figured out like the local taxi company or like multiple ones or the Uber or whatever it was. And they wrapped these taxis of all the cars within like a mile vicinity or radius of this event and they wrapped it in like this bright gong um car wrap or whatever whatever it is that you put on a car and like the brand impact they had from that was like absolutely massive compared to what they would have gotten for a booth at a fraction of the cost and it's the things like that that i think are just so cool ultra creative and i'm just like that i wish i was that that creative when it comes to b2b (laughs) (laughs) exactly i think like if you do want to have an impact and be super, super memorable where people like they probably, everyone is probably talking about gong at that event, you know, yeah, it does take a lot of creativity and outside the box thinking. And I don't think it's into like 
oh, we're just going to have a booth. We're going to have these kind of resources in the brochure. And maybe we're going to hand out a, like a free beer. Like that's not going to be memorable. But um, I worked at a startup, like one of my first marketing jobs. And they did the same thing where they didn't have the money because it was a small startup um, to be at this big, massive um, event. And instead they kind of, it was in the UK and they showed up in a double decker bus in front of the event with, and you could come on and have like cocktails. And it was like a little bar and everything inside it. And I mean, everyone loved that because, you know, everyone loves a good cocktail during a conference. Um, And so they ended up being invited every year to that event because um, our company kind of brought the entertainment. So like one year we'd have a ping pong tournament. Another (laughs) year we had um, virtual flying um, competitions where you had the, you know, the headset and the VR simulation and you had to like fly like the Red Bull race, which was very hard to do. Um, you fall out of your stool almost while you're doing that, but everyone kind of like knew coming to that event, like, Oh, I'm going to go because private fly is going to be there. And that's who I want to see and see like what cool thing they do this year. But that takes a lot of work and a lot of creativity and a lot of resources. So, um, unless you're really dedicated to like, this is what I'm going to do and I'm going to make an impact here. Um, I think you're going to kind of just not have the impact that you're looking for. If you just do a booth, hand out some brochures and think that's going to be enough. Mm-hmm. And it goes back to what you were saying about your competitors. If your mindset is, well, what are our competitors going to think? What is the market going to think about us if we're not building this booth like everyone else? And it almost hinders the creativity that could be there. And these incredible brand building um, activities that you could do because you're just forced into peer pressure. Yeah, exactly. You're just thinking you're in a box, you know, like in a booth. Yeah. So just stuck in that mindset. Mm-hmm. So for, uh, COVID really forced a lot of companies to move into like the online event um, format, I guess I should say. Um, and this is a mistake that I've seen a lot of companies make since doing that is they make it a lead gen activity instead of um, like a nurture opportunity or like an awareness opportunity. Um why should our events be more in the latter category instead of trying to get a bunch of leads? Yeah, I saw, um, I've seen a lot of people move to the web and struggle with like how to move to online and turn pretty much what their sales demos are into, and they call it a webinar. So it's, that's never going to work. Cause like if mm-hmm. how many times have you kind of gone onto a webinar and then you see that it's a sales pitch and you're not going to get any sort of like information out of it. You're not really, you're kind of frustrated that, you know, Oh, they promised this and they came in and they're just going to pitch their platform. And that's mm-hmm. all um, we're going to talk about. And I'm not going to take away anything valuable. So I think that's probably the main issue I've seen with people like B2B moving to online. Um, and I think also kind of going back to your question about like, why should it be more, a little bit more towards nurture than like lead gen? Um, I think that kind of goes into the real events as well. I think a lot of people think that, you know, in conference, even the virtual events um, that are sponsored and they come in and they think that they're going to get all this, you know, new leads. That's probably not the best way to, um, to think about it that way, because same as I said earlier, like think about how you are when you come into a virtual event, you go in, you have sessions that are interesting to you. You want to listen to them. You're not going to be like browsing the virtual trade booth um, area. I I've rarely gone into a virtual trade booth area. 
Um, so that's not like the way you're going to discover a new company. Um, you're probably going to go, probably the way you're going to discover a new company is if you join one of their sessions and their sessions really good and really interesting and really valuable, then you're going to remember that company and then maybe go to the virtual booth. But what I do is I end up going to their website and I end up checking mm -hmm. out their website. So I think as um, conferences have kind of moved virtually, the problem is they still try to think like, oh, we're going to give you this booth and this is like really valuable when really it's probably not as valuable as like what it would be in person because in person you're stuck in that conference building and you have to walk around while you're in between sessions where virtually like I'm doing work and then I take a break to go view a session. And then mm -hmm. when I'm done, I go back to work and do some slacks and emails. I'm not kind of like stuck to go to go walk around. Yeah. Um, so going back to what you said about like creating the value, and we'll just call it a webinar because that's what it is, whether it's a, yes. <laughs> a live AMA, Chris Walker does a webinar every week. I mean, there are multiple examples of a webinar. Um, so some that I've been to, and I'll give some examples here. The first one was Chris Walker's, uh, DGL live or whatever it is, right. Tuesday nights, they don't sell anything. They simply ask questions. They don't put you into an email cadence. And because of that, you have this affinity toward their brand. They're this leader in the space, et cetera. Um, so that's, that's awesome. Number two, um, is kind of in the middle. I went to a, a webinar story brand, um, I, I like the book by Donald Miller. I like some of their, their products and they do a really good job with their webinars. It's like an hour long. The four, the first 50 minutes is 100% of the value. So they teach everything you need to do to be successful with what they're trying to teach. And then at the end, they like cold sell, not cold sell, but warm sell. They say, Hey, here's our class you can sign up for. And I personally don't really like that. I probably wouldn't do it myself, but I'm like, well, they delivered the value. That's, that's great. And they have really good success. They sell a ton of courses right there online. Um, then the last one, this is the last example. Um, I've been to a webinar where they almost give like half of the value, which is what mm -hmm. you were saying. Like they try to pitch the product um, and story brand, you know, pitches the product, but they give everything. And the, the one that I'm thinking of, I, I, I went and I'm taking notes and I'm like, wow, this is really good. Like I'm learning a lot. And then when it comes to like, well, I need like the last bit here to be successful. They don't actually give it to you. And now it's, here's our product and here's how it can help. And here's what you need to do to buy. And that just turned me off. Cause I had spent so much time, like thinking I'm going to learn something and kind of got like bait and switched into a sales pitch here on the webinar. So I, if you're listening to this, that's not the one that you want to do. <laughs> Be more in like the Chris Walker category, or even like in between with like the story brand example. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, um, when I first came into this role, they were, the company was doing some webinars, but it was, like I said, it was a, it was a sales pitch pretty much. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, look, we need to change this because you're going to just turn off any potential customers who you're trying to like grow relationships with. Like if they feel like every time you put a webinar together, it's just going to be a sales pitch about like, look how great our product is. Like they're going to be turned off and they're probably not going to come to future ones. So if mm -hmm. the goal is like, Hey, we're going to do these virtual events and we're going to, um, we want to kind of grow a relationship, grow our expertise and showcase like we're the experts in this um, topic. That's not the way to do it. So instead like focus on the customer. I mean, I think that's kind of the theme um, of what we've been talking about um, for this whole thing was just like, think of the customer and what that, what value it's going to bring to them. So 
when we do webinars now, we try to make sure that everyone has a takeaway that they can come out of and just and something that they can implement with regardless if they have our product or not. Um, and so keeping that in mind, I think helps drive some value and helps you keep a good focus on like how you put that webinar together. So instead of thinking like the outcome is like, I'm going to get X amount of leads, that's what I want. Think instead, like I want our customers to come out or potential customers. Um, I want them to come out knowing how, like what texting policies they have to follow. I want them to know three strategies that they can use for their current texting um, texting uh, program. Like I want them to come away with actionable pieces that they can implement without using us. Because then I think as they, it kind of grows trust and value with your company. And then they start thinking like, your company is not just going to try to sell me. They are the experts in this. And so when I am ready to buy, I'm going to think of them first and go to them because I know that they're not just like pushing, pushing, pushing sales on me all the time. Like if they're doing this before I'm even a customer, imagine how much value they're going to give me once I actually do purchase their product. A hundred percent agree with that. Um, my only pushback or question would be, what happens when you have someone breathing down your neck from in the C-suite saying, well, we need the leads now. And I do agree with like, you need to generate revenue as a marketer. So maybe this comes down the road. Like where's the line and what have you run into in the past where it's like, well, where are the leads? Yeah. So I have come across this a few times. And so I'm a big component of like, you know, only sending high intent leads over to sales, but this is a new kind of process for um, my role at the moment, because I'm relatively new at Mongoose. Um, and so everyone was on board and then, you know, they weren't getting as many leads as they used to. And so what I did was I did send them like for one webinar, I'm like, look here, I'm going to have you reach out. Here's the attendees. Like I wouldn't necessarily say all these are created equal, but feel free to start reaching out to them. And the sales team did. And if the results weren't good, like the, they were like, they weren't ready. They weren't interested. Like I got ghosted a lot. And I was like, yeah, because just because they attended doesn't mean they're necessarily ready to purchase. Mm -hmm. um, I do try to put in a spot where there is an opportunity for someone to kind of put their hand up um, that they're ready to talk to sales in some way or form. Um, for example, we have a product that's a chat bot for higher education. And so at the end, we were giving them all these tips on like how to optimize your website, how to ensure that you personalize towards the student, um, how to like improve your forms and using the chat bot to kind of get people to convert. And then at the end, we were like, hey, if you want to see like how a chat bot might look on your website, like click here and we'll send you like a free demo example mm -hmm. of like the chat bot on your website. You know, it's still like a pitch. It's still a little salesy. But it's not saying, hey, are you ready for a demo just yet? Like, yeah. let me know. We're going to have a salesperson reach out. But then that gave us about like 10 to 15 people from the actual web webinar who were like actively put their hand up. I could send them the sales and say, this is what they want. And the sales team was just so happy because like, yeah, it's not as big of a lead list as if I mm -hmm. sent them the whole attendees. But they were like, all these people responded, talked to me. I built that relationship up. And I start to have a better understanding of like when they'll be ready and how to reach out to them. And I'm starting that conversation. And now they're like at the beginning of the pipeline. So I think like, you know, there's a little bit of educating with the sales team. There's a little bit of, you know, you do have to kind of stick your stake in the ground a little bit and be like, 
trust me, you got to give me some time. Um, but there are still ways, like you said, where there's like the Chris Walker side and there's like the different ways that you can do webinars. And I think if you're getting that pushback to get leads from your events, like you can do a little bit of some sort of offer or something, just a way to get them to, to put their hand up so that you do have this select group of people who you can send to sales and keep them happy. Mm -hmm. uh, another thing I've seen is companies will deliver all this value in a webinar and then they ruin it with their follow-up sales cadence yes. or email. <laughs> um, what is your approach or philosophy with that? Is that to continue the nurturing or do you slip in a sales email every four? Like, how do you approach that? How we're trying to approach it. So we are trying to get to eventually kind of more of the Chris Walker style where this is more of like almost a, a live podcast, the live video podcast where, you know, it's two people talking, two experts talking, and we want people, the goal of that is to get more and more people kind of attending these events and looking forward to these events. Um, so we're trying to slowly get away from, you know, an aggressive email nurture afterwards, um, unless they're put their hand up during the event in some way or form, and we send them to sales. Everybody else is just going to get a follow-up email thanking them for attending. And because usually we do give them some sort of free resource that was um, similar to the topic we were talking about. We send them the recording and like the free resource that we promised. And then that's kind of it. And then the next time we email them is when we're inviting them to the next webinar. Or if they're just in a general kind of nurture campaign, we don't have a very aggressive, like salesy, like automated email flow after someone attends a webinar. We just see that as another step in the nurture sequence. That's a little bit um, higher touch than just like an email. Yeah, that makes total sense. I mean, again, I've been a part of both. I've seen both sides of it. And I would way rather get almost like an extension of what I just learned instead of immediately being put into the sales cadence where I'm just like, well, now I know why I was invited to the webinar. <laughs> right. And it's funny because like, even though we haven't, we're moving away from more of that sales pitch um, side of things and that really aggressive email um, nurture sequence afterwards, I'm still seeing really positive, like our direct traffic and new contacts and new opportunities coming from direct traffic actually has just mm -hmm. like increased exponentially. So clearly people don't need, you know, you to like, force it down their throats of like, Hey, contact us, contact us, contact mm -hmm. us for a demo. If they're ready to contact you, they know where to find you. They know how to get to your website. Yeah. And I think that the notion out there is that buyers are dumb. And yes. like <laughs> when someone comes to a webinar, they have in the back of their mind, like they know, right. When someone discovers your content on LinkedIn and they're following it for a while, they're going to figure out what you do. If they come to your live event, they're going to figure out what you do without having, you know, the sales pitch right there. Buyers aren't absolutely blind and absolutely dumb. They're going to go look around on the website. I think you mentioned that early on in this podcast. You kind of click around and see what's going on when they're ready. And if they're in the market, then they're going to reach out and you don't yeah. have to force that down their throat. And I think that that's another mistake that a lot of B2B companies make is they just assume that they have to do the sales pitch when really like, they're going to figure out what you do. They're going to find out if, if you're for them and then they'll take the next step when they're ready. Yeah. And I think that goes into that whole, you know, the attribution conversation that's kind of happening in B2B marketing. Like I think a, a big reason why people tend to push that, you know, I have to make as many 
things come out of this webinar and track and attribute it to this webinar to show proof. So they do bad tactics. That's going to hurt um, their relationship with their customer. So, you know, moving away from like having to attribute everything is going to help you make better decisions around like, how am I going to build trust and provide value to my customer so that by the time they're ready to buy, because no matter how aggressive you are, they're not going to convert until they're ready, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so why ruin that relationship by being super aggressive just because you have attribution numbers that you need to prove the worth of this webinar and instead just focus on like, I want to build trust and provide value to this customer. So by the time they are ready to buy, they come to my website, they click request a demo, and then they talk to sales and sales has a way better time talking to them than chasing them for like a year, trying to get them to close. Yeah. Uh, you brought up a really good point that I think would be helpful for people um, listening to this. You and I discussed this on our prep call and you said that instead of waiting around for companies to be invited to a webinar series as a guest, instead of hoping that you're going to get invited to a speaking engagement or a live event or whatever it may be, we should just simply create the engagement ourselves. And this is a great way to do that. Um, why is this important? Yeah, because I mean, normally then you're stuck in that spot where you don't have control. You don't have control mm -hmm. of like who attends, what the marketing is to get people there. Um, who else is there? Like sometimes a lot of times your competitors are there and you're talking about the same topics and you're kind of at the mercy of whoever is kind of hosting that event. And like, you also don't know what kind of, you know, you get the list of people who attended your live event or something. And you don't know, like, did they really know that they agreed to give me their information? Are they going to be turned off by this? So instead, but like, don't wait and just create, um, <laughs> guess that could be a motto. Don't wait, create, <laughs> um, just create that opportunity to have those speaking engagements. And, you know, then you have control of how you market it, how, what kind of promises you make to them and how you follow through on it. Like if people sign up, they know they've signed up to talk to you. And so when you reach out down the road, they're not going to be like super turned off that like, Oh, you sold my information to your sponsors. And now my sponsors mm -hmm. are going to like annoy the heck out of me when you're really using that <laughs> list to try to like nurture them. And we've seen really good results where like now we can kind of see it two ways. So now we're looking at, you know, inviting our clients onto the um, events as well and like interviewing them similar to like what you're doing here. And, you know, it gives them a little bit of clout. It makes them feel important and it helps like it helps build again that loyalty. So they feel like, oh, here's another um, plus of being a client with Mongoose is that they help give me exposure. They help me like publicize my school. Um, and it's also a great way to kind of learn like what's on their minds, get some, you know, customer interviews a little bit. Um, but then on the other side, we're starting to get other people who are not, they're not competitors, but they're like industry thought leaders, um, in the mm -hmm. higher ed space who are wanting to come on and be interviewed with us and be on our webinars with, and then they're like, oh, well, if you have me on your webinar, I'll have you on my podcast. And you start getting some more free PR opportunities yeah. as well, which helps, you know, um, spread more awareness. So I think instead of just waiting for an uh, event to show up and you're one of many, like create something where you can stand out and you can have control. 
Mm-hmm. I love what you bring, what you said there about almost like the event swap or the podcast swap. And I think that that is something easy that people can do. Just find an event with a similar size audience to the one that you have, or you're putting on, or maybe a podcast that you think has a relevant um, audience and audience, audience size, and then just say, Hey, do you want to switch, switch off? I think that's a good idea. I've heard that before. Um, but that that's awesome. I do have a question though. Do you think that like when you do events like this, do you think it will naturally turn into a community? I've seen it happen. Maybe it's easier said than done, but do you see that happening a lot as well? Yeah, absolutely. I can see webinars get a lot of, you know, bad, I think they have a bad rep and I see webinars as a missed opportunity to be a gateway into building a community. Um, I've done it before in previous companies where we would get a bunch of people onto um, a webinar series where we were training them on a certain topic. And then at the end, because it was, they were so engaged and they just loved the value we were providing them and they didn't want it to end. At the end of the last webinar series, we're like, hey, we made this exclusive Facebook group that is just for, you know, the, you guys and you can go in and talk. And like, we ended up getting almost 900 people in the community in one day, which was, it blew my mind. I did not mm-hmm. expect that much. And then they were so active and they were talking so much. And like, we came in and made sure we gave them like more exclusive resources or ask questions on certain days. We had um, our trainers come in and, you know, provide value and answer questions a subject matter expert to like talk the talk with them. And then you have like this whole group of people who are your ideal customer profile (laughs) that are right there that aren't talking to anybody else, but you, and you have complete like access to them. So especially as you, if you look at your webinars as a way to build, nurture, and provide value, it's a very easy way to turn it into a community. And then, I mean, everybody's knowing like community is the way forward, but it's hard to achieve. And I think webinars is a way to get you there. I think that's awesome. A hundred percent aligned on that with you as well. <laughs> um, well, cool. So I want to do something kind of fun um, where basically I'll hand you the mic. You become the podcast host here for a bit <laughs> before we close out. Um, so I'll hand you the mic. Is there anything that you want to shoot my way to mix the show up a bit before we, before we go? Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, my company was just away at like a leadership retreat all this week and we were starting to do lots of planning for 2022. So Mm -hmm. 2022 is on my mind and I'm starting to think of like how to change up what we're doing for marketing. And so I'm curious how you guys are approaching, um, your 2022 planning. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for us, it's a little bit different because we're like a service provider and we have to think of like holistically, like as a company, what should we be doing? Um, but our planning process will be in December. So we do quarterly and then we do yearly. Um, and then we think about three-year plan, five-year plan, 10-year plan, right? So we'll be doing that in December and it will probably be near the end. We'll take two days and the first day is what are we going to be doing uh, this year? So we're going to be talking about revenue goals. We're going to be talking about measurables, like how can we measure what we're doing, et cetera. And then the second day we plan for Q1. So we kind of do two birds, one stone. Um, and this is and this comes from the book Traction, which okay. is more of a, a business book, um, but even marketing teams could get a lot out of it. Um, it talks about planning, how to build teams, Etc. So that's that's where we have gotten this, but that's our our goal um, for 2022 is to get everything locked in 
right before Q1 starts and then uh, start plugging away. Nice. How are you going to, um, you know, be a little retrospective and look back on these podcasts and how they worked and identify areas of opportunity to improve it? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. Um, the first one would be listenership. And a lot of people are like, well, we don't really look at the downloads. We don't really look at how many people are listening. And I tend to disagree just because like that is a success indicator. Like are people listening to the show for one, um, two is looking back at like the, uh, the qualitative, um, data that we've gotten. So I've been taking screenshots all year long of like people that say things in DMS that write comments on posts. And that's just really good for companies to reflect back on because you might not get a whole ton of quantitative data, but the qualitative can be just as important. Um, so we're going to be looking back on that. Um, as for like looking back on other things besides just the podcast, something that we do every week is we keep a scorecard. Um, and that includes like how many inbound requests do we get through our website? Um, and then we have a goal for the week, how much revenue, uh, did we generate? And we have a goal for the week and each week we'll go in and say, we got this, this, and this. And then if something is below our goal for the week, it gets a big red circle around it, right. Or highlight it in uh, Google sheets. And then we know that we need to focus on that. So when it comes to our planning for 2022, we're going to see, okay, what, what, two or three areas on our scorecard were really lacking throughout the past year. And obviously this one needs, needs some attention because this is the stuff that we need to execute long before we ever see it show up on a PNL. Um, so again, this is like higher level, like business stuff, I guess. And maybe it'll be interesting for marketers to listen to, but that's how we're going to be approaching it. Um, again, here at the end of the quarter. Nice. It's interesting that you're so granular, like, week on week with, uh, goals and data, I guess, do you feel like that helps or hinders your, you know, I mean, you're hosting a podcast and that's not something that like we talked about can necessarily have strong attribution, like right away. Um, Mm -hmm. how does that, how does that help you be better at your job with that kind of weekly scorecard? So, one warning I would give is like, you don't need 50 KPIs that you're trying to track. And like, you don't want to switch up your entire business model. If you miss a number for the week, it's simply for us to get an idea of, okay, before we see two quarters from now, revenue, take a dip. Like we can look now and say, oh, well, we had three people not show up for their, their discovery meeting. And that would show up on the scorecard. And we'd see like, that needs to be addressed. Um, so I wouldn't say base your life around like what numbers are on here. For example, we don't have like, how many downloads did we get to the podcast? Like we wouldn't consider that like a business metric that we need to know. Is it great? Yes. And do we think about it? Yes. But like on a weekly scorecard, it's more of the high level, like ultimate goals that do lead to pipeline and revenue that we're looking for. So that down the road, we're not caught off guard by a PL because it takes some time for that right. to shake itself out. So hopefully that answers your question there. Yeah, no, that's very interesting. Um, I love that transparency of like exactly what's happening with revenue and goals. And I think I'm, I'm doing that with my company where I'm trying to get our marketing team more involved in like, here's the day-to-day of like what's working, what's not working. Let's look more at the data 
and let's see how our work does attribute to revenue and how we can help with that. So mm-hmm. it's interesting to hear how you guys approach it. And I love the idea of like some sort of weekly scorecard where it is, it's not the high level, like you said, downloads, website visitors, yeah. something like more tangible where you can say like, oh, we're a little off. And it's, so it's not a surprise down the road. The way, you know, the way that it was explained was what are the, the three to five metrics or numbers that if you were on a desert island and you were to read down through the list and say, oh, well, our marketing department is doing really well, or we need some help. What are those numbers that come to mind that if you were to read the scorecard every single week with no context, you would know that you are moving toward your bigger um, business goals, your marketing team goals, whatever they might be. Um, for us, I'm trying to think what's on it. Well, at the time I had, I know revenue. Um, we don't do demos, but it's like uh, like a website meeting is what we call them. So those mm-hmm. booked, um, so inbound requests, and then how many people actually come to the meetings, and then how many proposals do we get out? Um, and then the last one, this might not be for everybody, but I have email list signups because like they're at that point really interested in our content. And it's not like we're trying to sell to them. So we do have that one. I think those are the like five that we have, but at a high level that really gives us a good idea of like, how are we performing? What needs help? And like, how is this going to have effects down the road? Um, so that's how I would look yeah. at it. Yeah. And definitely helps keep you focused, you know, cause I think yeah. there's so many KPIs you can track as a marketer. And so it can be hard. It can be like overwhelming and sometimes it can make you, you know, go off track. But I think those are that I love that idea of like what on a desert Island can it help me decide is marketing doing a good job? And like, what are those mm-hmm. key KPIs? Um, and I like, like you, like the email signups is something that, you know, is a leading indicator for the company and like having one, one thing that is a leading indicator, that's a little bit more of a top of funnel kind of metric will help, you know, pre- predict like what's going to happen down the road. Um, yeah. So that's very interesting. I probably am going to implement some of that. So thank you for sharing. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> again, this comes from a business book, but what is interesting is it can be pushed down the organization into like departments and marketing can do the exact same thing. And it might not be the exact things on my scorecard as it might be yours or whoever's listening to this, but it is interesting to know, like it gives you a pulse on what's going on and it kind of gives you an idea of what needs help right now, or just a high level of how you're performing. And I wouldn't, for example, I would not put like, how many podcast downloads did you get on it this week? I mean, it, maybe you do, but we're talking about like things that actually move the needle to your bigger goals. Right. And that probably helps you, you know, have better conversations with people outside of the marketing department or in the executive suite, just because like, then I think the success of being a good marketer and growing in your career is being able to like talk business and talk about how marketing is affecting business. So that's a great way Mm -hmm. to approach that. Yeah, absolutely. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, awesome, Nicole. I appreciate you uh, taking the reins there and being a a podcast host. Have you ever actually been a podcast host before? Um, I'm not a host, but I've just been um, like a co-host a little bit Um, where I'm actually doing a higher ed um, podcast with um, a partner of ours. So Definitely new territory, but um, it's interesting. <laughs> well, some of the skills that you learned there apparently uh, rolled over to what you're doing. I liked how you kept the ball in the air. So good job. If you ever want to start a podcast, uh, <laughs> you can say following. that this was your claim to fame. All, All right. right. You'll be my first uh, my first guest. <laughs> awesome. Well, Nicole, thanks again for joining me here on the show. Um, we've heard bits and pieces about what you guys do at Mongoose, but to close this out officially, um, 
can you give us like the 30 second rundown of what you guys do elevator pitch, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. So at Mongoose, um, we specialize in conversational software for higher education. Um, so our mission is to modernize student engagement for universities and colleges and help them improve the way that they're communicating with their students. Um, and so that's kind of the elevator pitch of what we're doing. So definitely come check us out if you're in the higher education space. Um, our website is mongooseresearch.com. Well, Nicole, thanks again. This was a lot of fun. Appreciate you being here. Yeah, thank you so much.